So we're going to continue um, in our final week in this series called Elevate. And so we've been talking as we kicked off 2015, which is kind of hard to believe. We've been talking about ways that we can elevate uh, our life in following Christ, the things uh, that we could do uh, or the things we could do better, right? And I've been pushing on this idea with you for the last few weeks that sometimes we want to make a huge change in following Jesus. And don't get me wrong, Jesus makes huge changes in people's lives. Like that's the gospel. He just transforms us uh, in an instant. And yet, there are opportunities we have to make small changes that will help us to be better followers of his. And these aren't like new earth-shattering things. It's just the, this, the scriptural uh, story over and over again of what we're called to do and how we're called to do it. Opportunities we have to respond to the gospel. And we've been talking for the last few weeks about, about these things. For those of you in a family group, you had a chance to process these things with your family groups. I hope you're doing that. If you're not in a family group, you're always welcome to join one. But I wanted to ask, and last week we talked about elevating our response um, and that means to repent of our sin, to believe the good news, and then to obey God's commandment or obey God's spirit, right? And I don't know if you had that experience this week. Part of what our hope is, is that when we come together here and we worship God together, and we certainly do, and we preach his word together, we certainly do, we listen to what he has for us, that we would live it out for the rest of the week, that we have these experiences with Christ in our real lives where we really are, and we wouldn't wait till next Sunday to get another, you know, um, dose of Jesus, that he's with us every day. That's what the good news says. He is present with us. His spirit goes with us. And so I don't know if you've had opportunities through the week to, to do that. I, I, I know I have had that opportunity this week to repent of some sin um, and to, uh, to believe the gospel again, to remind myself that, that we sang that song today. I hope you heard that song today. That we are covered in the blood of the Lamb. That that is the good news of Jesus, that he's paid for all of our sins, and we should never forget that. And then we can obey his spirit. I told you last week, I said, we're going to kind of jump off that final point to wrap up this series in, in this kind of idea, and it's how we can elevate our life and I know this is a big one, but it's this idea of how we can elevate our whole life uh, in Christ. Sometimes we might, we might, I don't know, you know, like we just kind of settle for good enough. You know what I mean? We're like, oh, it's good enough. Um, I, I believe, yes. Do you believe the gospel? Yes, I believe the gospel. And that's good enough. Uh, there's nothing else required, nothing else I, I, I should do or respond to. But if you read scripture over and over again, we're reminded that God has called us to a better life a better life. Jesus himself said, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. The fullest life you could possibly have Jesus wants to bring to us. And so we want that from him. We want to seek, seek him in that. I'm going to read this uh, scripture. It's our, kind of our core scripture today and it's found in Galatians 5.25. Galatians 5, chapter 5, verse 25. One verse this is going to kind of form the, the final thought for the series about how we're called to respond to the good news, the gospel of Jesus. I'm going to read that now. We'll pray. Since we live by the Spirit, let us therefore keep step with the Spirit. A simple little verse. We're going to spend time there, so don't close the Bible. You want to keep your finger there. We're going to come back to that in a minute. The word says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I'm going to ask you to join me in prayer this morning that God would impart uh, his wisdom to us as we gather in his name. Uh, Father God, we thank you for the opportunity we have. Honestly, the fact that we can hold uh, your inspired word in our hands, uh, that you've given us an ability to read and interpret the words and understand, but more than that, more than our, our 
educational ability or our, that you've given us your Holy Spirit who can teach us in our very beings what your word means. And today, Father, as we come and we, we just bask in your presence and we celebrate you and who you are because you're worthy of all praise. You're worthy of every praise on this earth to return to you. Father, we, we pray that you would uh, just take hold of us in this time, that you would reshape our minds, that you would reshape our hearts, that you would heal us, you would restore us, and then you would put us on your path for righteousness. Father, this is not work we can do ourselves. And, and we, we worship you because you're worthy of worship, but then we long for you because we need you to succeed. We need you to become followers of your son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so today, as we open your word, teach us, each of us, teach us what you'd have us to know that our lives would never be the same again. And we'll give you glory and praise because you're worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul makes this comment about uh, the, the need to walk in the Spirit of God. I, I said some of us think, oh, it's good enough. It's good enough. You know where we're at. It's, it's okay. Um, and I want to uh, read from the First Testament, from the book of Isaiah. I, it's funny that we're ending, this isn't going to be our core text, but I just want you to hear the prophet. We mentioned him toward the end of uh, last year, right, about uh, Isaiah's response to the gospel. And here he is again, he gets to proclaim this truth of God's ways being higher than our ways, right? That God, God is far above our thoughts and hopes and our, our thinking, our living of our lives. And I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to hear it with me. Um, Listen to the word. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. You who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what is, does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come near to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know will hasten to you because of the Lord, that's Yahweh your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Verse 6, listen. Seek the Lord while he still may be found. Call on him while he is yet near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man forsake his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from the earth and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return empty to me, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I have sent it. You will go out in joy and you'll be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands and instead of the thorn bush will grow a pine tree and instead of briars, the myrtle will grow 
This will be for the Lord's renown, an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. You know, Isaiah the prophet says that God's ways are so much higher than our ways and that he's calling us into this, this uh, unbelievable life with him, this real life with him, an abundant life. So when we think about our whole lives and how we're called to respond to the gospel, this is what it looks like. There's so many things that I hope you hear today. I hope you listen to Isaiah as we go now to the New Testament and we hear the story of the gospel of Jesus and how he fulfills these things in our lives. But the first, and it comes, I hope you kept your finger there in Galatians 5 because the first idea comes right there from Galatians 5 and it's this idea of walking in the Spirit. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this because we've talked about it before as a church. But I want you to understand that it literally means step by step of your day. It means every step with the Spirit of God. You know, I was trying to think of a good analogy of what this looks like, you know. Uh, I'm going to show my age a little bit here, but I remember when we were kids, um, we had these things called romper stompers. Anybody remember those? Don't raise your hand. It would be embarrassing if you did. Right? Y'all, okay. Some of you were brave. You raised your hand. Yeah. These are like little buckets you wore on your feet, and you could like walk around. I don't know what the point was, but you just did that, you know. That's kind of the idea of peripateo in Scripture, Right? He's like, walk around in my spirit. Stay in step with my spirit. And that means there's a lot of things that we need to do to stay in step with the spirit, like being attentive to his spirit in our lives. Be listening and talking and, and, and obeying him. We talked last week about obeying God's commands, which means obeying God's Holy Spirit. Walking around in the spirit. Getting used to new clothes in Christ. These things are things that are unlocked whenever we believe the gospel of Jesus to us. The Spirit is in us at the point of belief. I want to back up and, and say and go through this now in, in more holistically in this text. Starting in verse 16, Paul writes to the church and he says, So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Man, I hope you remember that from last week. We talked about how we don't do what we want to do, right? Paul says these are in conflict with each other so that we don't do what we want. There's a war going on for right decisions, right obedience in our life. And it comes in this battle between the flesh and the spirit, the sinful nature and the spirit of God. So we have this idea, but look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law, right? If you're obeying God's Spirit, you're no longer burdened with the law. And we can talk about what that means and why, but this reality is that because God doesn't contradict himself, he doesn't do that. So the Spirit that he has in us as believers in Jesus causes us to obey the law, to fulfill the law, to go beyond the law even. And what's required. We talk so much about that in this series and what Jesus set out as his requirements. But here Paul says, live by the Spirit. Find life in the Spirit. And then I don't want you to miss this. In verse 18, uh, the word says, but if you're led by the Spirit. I want to spend a minute talking about that if, right? Um, that's this idea that you have a choice to make as a believer in Jesus. We believe that before Jesus, we could do nothing but choose sin, we don't think there's righteousness without Christ. It doesn't exist. Some people say, well, there's good people in the world, right? And that, that we believe, no, there's not good people in the world. 
There's no one born inherently good. Scripture says no one is good, not even one. All have sinned. We're all broken in some way. And, but here Paul says, so for those who are believing in Christ, if you live in the Spirit, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not, um, you're not under the law, and you won't violate the law, right? If we're obedient to his Spirit in our life. And it's a choice that we have to make as believers. We're going we're to move on to this text, and you've heard this before, but the striking thing to me about this text, the striking thing is that it's written to Christians, Many times we'll whip this out and we'll talk about non-believers and, oh, look at the sin of the non-believers. Paul is talking to the church when he writes the letter to, Gal to the church in Galatia. And he says, this is problems that you have and you have a choice to make. And the choice isn't to sin or not to sin. The choice is to obey the Spirit or disobey the Spirit. Disobeying the Spirit results in sin every time. It just does. It results in sin. If you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. There's this whole new thing in Christ, Okay? So I'm going to put this up on the screens, and I'm going to read it out of the Scripture. This is, this is exactly from Scripture here, and we're going to talk through this for a minute. So this is what Paul says in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, he says. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I want to remind that Paul's writing to the church when he says that. And so I kind of listed them. Now, what we could say of this list of, of things is these are works of the flesh, right? They're, they're manifestations of the flesh. As a matter of fact, the striking thing to me about this is that the, I, the idea is that it's an employment that you've been hired by sin to commit sin. You've been hired by your flesh to sin when you choose to not be obedient to the Spirit of God. And I kind of rammed down. Look, they would barely even fit on the screen. I just jammed them all in there together, you know. The first one up there I wrote, I translated as porn. And I know porn in our culture has crazy connotations. Some people, you, you know, your mind goes all kind of places. But this is the Greek. It's called, it's pornea. And it's the root of all sexual deviancy. It's captured in that word. I would be failing at my job. I'd be failing this morning to tell you the truth. If I didn't say that, you know, some of us act like God's wanting to take all our fun stuff away. And that is a lie of Satan, man. That's not true at all. What this word means is that it makes something cheap that God says is precious. It's cheapening sex. Cheapening those relationships. Devaluing one another. And it's captured in this one word in Greek called pornea. And now, even in our culture today, we still use this language when we say porn, pornography, pornographic. Everything, all of our failures fall in there. And then, and, and, and then impurity. Not just, you know, not being completely pure. And you're like, man, none of us are pure. But that's the work of sin in our life, that we aren't pure. Violence. And this means people who, like, sock you in the face, right? Like, just like the bar fight violence. But it means violence against character. It means violence against someone sexually even. Violating a boundary. Forcing ourselves on people. Being uncaring toward them. Idolatry. We know what this, we think we know what this means. It's this image worship. Oh my goodness. I mean, each one of these, we could spend so much time, you know. It's worshiping an image, a, a broken image of God and not who God truly is. 
a made-up God in our mind, a God of our own creating. Maybe sometimes the God in the mirror. We worship the God in the mirror. Drugs. That's funny because in here I think it's called a witchcraft, you know? And I'm like, that's kind of weird. Like, why would witchcraft really should be like, more like drugs? Because there's this idea of, of, of um, a myst mystical experiences, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like tripping, you know? I mean? That's what it means. It means having some out-of-body, you know, crazy experience. You've induced something. You're, you've left reality, and you're in some foreign place. And I see that today still in our culture with drugs. And I don't just mean drugs like, you know, marijuana or other drugs. I mean drugs like the things we put in our bodies all the time. I just can't deal with the pain anymore. And you take, we take pills to cope. It just takes us to a different place. We're not here anymore. So it's brokenness that God says of our sinful world. Hatred toward one another. Just absolute despising other people. Having conflict in our lives, and that means conflict like international, it means conflict like in our relationships, jealousy with one another. We could go on for jealousy for a while. Here's a great one, rage. I mean, the Bible talks about anger, and the Bible talks about rage, and rage is that seething, boiling anger. It just spews out at people. It's, it, it comes from a place that's so deep in us, and it's a sin-filled place. We rage against the machine or whatever. Selfishness, right? Self-gratification, getting our own. Divisions, right? Creating a little, a little sect, someone who's di um, we're different from everyone else. That's kind of tied in the self-determination, that we're going to decide where we're going to go, that we're going to manifest our own destiny, we're going to create our own reality. Self-determination. Envy, Envy is interesting because it's this idea, get this, <clears throat> that you clap when someone fails. You know what I'm saying? I always thought envy was like, I want someone's stuff. You know, I'm envious of what they have. The biblical idea of envy here is that you have someone in your life that you maybe hate so much, you're so angry with, that you're waiting for them to fail so you can celebrate the failure. The scripture said that's rooted in sin. That's a work of the flesh. That's obedience to sin in our life. Drunkenness, arrogance, arrogance, being puffed up, being boiled over with ourselves, fulfilled, full of ourselves. And look what Paul says. As if this list isn't long enough, right? Paul says, and everything like it. <laughs> and I'm just like, that means all the stuff in between the cracks and other stuff we didn't even think about. It's all junk, man, that God has, uh, that we have in our life when we're disobedient to the Spirit of God. All those things. These are acts of the sinful nature in our life, and they're obvious to us. They're obvious to us. I remember one time I was talking to a, a friend of mine who was a fellow believer, and I was feeling really discouraged, man. I was just really down. And they began to tell me all the stuff I was doing wrong. And I'm like, dude, I know all the stuff I'm doing wrong. Tell me one thing I'm doing right, <laughs> you know? Give me a hope here. I know. Paul says it's obvious to us that all these things are broken. This is not God's plan for us. It's not the higher life we're called to. But so many of us, now hear me, church, so many of us get discouraged or disoriented in following Christ, and we settle for something that's less than God, less than what he has for us, an image made up of ourselves or satisfying ourselves in our anger, our hatred, 
our rage, our violence, our self-indulgence. And we cheat ourselves from the real life-giving relationship that God has for us. I mean, this stuff is not a joke. And sin always leads to death. The Bible says sin leads to death. That's the end of the road with this stuff. So we see these things in our life. It should give us pause. And man, again, the fact that Paul's writing to the church about these things, uh, it, it should strike us. I warn you, he says in verse 21, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are signs that we are not God's people, that we do not belong to him, that we are failing to be obedient or to step with the Holy Spirit of God in our life. And then here it is, favorite word in Scripture. Corey always says, Corey Adolph, favorite word in Scripture, but, right? But the fruit of the Spirit is. And in that one moment there, Paul turns this, because you can go, oh, I mean, I don't know. You see this, you're like, I'm overwhelmed with this. What can I do? Paul says, but instead of all these things, you have the fruit of the Spirit in your life and you're obedient. These are the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Come on. The fruit of the Spirit is patience. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. It's goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And the fruit of the Spirit is self control. Isn't that interesting? How many of those things in that list are about us being out of control, having our way? And, and, the, and the, the, this manifestation of the God's Spirit, and, and, these, and, and we're going to talk about this for a minute, but these are the results of being obedient. I've told, I've told you before here, and I believe sometimes that we go, let me tell you how we get this wrong, okay? We go, I need more joy in my life. You know, so we get all, we muster everything we got. We're like, I'm going to be joyful. And you're like, joy, it's going to happen in a minute, you know. And you just keep not being joyful. That's not what the scripture, it doesn't say like, hey, Paul doesn't say, hey, aspire to do these things of yourself. Aspire to manifest these gifts of your own self. You should, you should have these things. No, he says, this is fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Did you hear what Isaiah said today? That, in, in, that it's going to grow up as a pine, an, an evergreen is going to grow up among us, a new, new life to bear new fruit in our lives. The promise of the Messiah is going to bring new life to us, a whole new way of living. All of a sudden, these things become not something that we try to muster by our strength, but we utterly depend on God for. God, I want to be obedient to your Holy Spirit in my life. And, and the signs to us of our obedience are found when we find ourselves loving more, are finding our joy again, you know, having self-control. Um, all, these, all these things that Paul lists here become signs that we're walking in the step of the Spirit in our lives. If you have, and I put them up here on purpose because if you have, if you're seeing this stuff in your life, you should be checking yourself and saying, God, I don't want that stuff because it's not your best for me. It's not your, and the, our culture might say, this is the best you can do. But God says, I got something way better for you than that. 
Walk in obedience to my spirit. Stay in step with me every day of your life, and you will see this fruit manifest in your life. I have rarely, if ever, seen or counseled or talked to someone who has surrendered to Christ, who has submitted humbly to the Spirit of God, who has desperately desired Him to move in their life, and they've come back and they've said, I, 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 don't, I don't have any of that joy. I don't have any of those fruit of the Spirit in my life. None of it, Bill. It's not there. God is always keeping His promise to us when we seek Him. Always, always good to His people in Christ. We do struggle with sin. We do, but we are not left without hope or a way forward. So these are the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Now I want to talk about one other thing, and it's going to, in this section, and it's going to be the work of the Spirit in our life. Um, and I want to share this with you, and it's from uh, John, a couple places in John here. Well, no, John 16, 8 and 13, right? The work of the Spirit. I'm going to read it. It says, When he comes, that's the Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And this is what I would say I've called this morning the work of the Spirit in our life. The work of the Holy Spirit in our life. Some of you, you're maybe not believing in Jesus yet. You know, and, and you go, well, how am I going to start believing in Jesus? Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit is drawing you near to the gospel of Jesus. That's his job. And, and the word here says that he will uh, convict us of guilt in regard to our sin. He does that work in our lives. And, and I, I sometimes feel like we feel like our job is to be the Holy Spirit to people. L let me convict you of your guilt. No, the, God is working in us to tell us what's wrong. We, we don't miss that, Right? He, he's convicting us of our sin to draw us toward Christ so that we understand that not just in regard to sin, and there's an ellipse there, and in between that ellipse is all the stuff between um, 8 and 13. You can read that, and I would encourage you to do so. But he talks about that we're being convicted of our, our sin um, and righteousness through Christ and right judgment by God. Another huge thing people talk to me about, and they say, how can, how can I be judged? Who can judge? God can judge. That's who can judge. God who made you can judge you. God can decide rightly if, if, you know, if you're responding to the gospel or not. God can judge you, and he will. And the Holy Spirit, and I want you to see, this is my point, this, I want you to see that it's not just in faith that we can now be obedient to the Spirit. That's true. But the Holy Spirit has been drawing us toward Christ this entire time. That he's been drawing us out of death into life. He's been revealing the gospel to us repeatedly. And some of you have heard the gospel over and over again, and you've rejected it. I mean, some of you here today have heard it over and over again, and you're like, nah, I'm not going to believe that, though. And you're believing something besides the fact that Jesus died for your sins. But that quiet voice in you, this says that, you know, it's not, what you have isn't right. It's, it's not working. It's the Holy Spirit of God convicting you of your sin. How do I know so much about it? Man, because I was right there. I remember so much about that. I remember. Felt so far from God. Tell everybody I was fine. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, it's, I know all the answers. I can tell you everything. I can tell you why the world exists. I can tell you my theory of life. You know, I can tell you my theory of everything. <laughs> you know? 
but I don't need Jesus. And that voice in my head's going, "Uh uh-huh. Tell me more about your plan. Until the truth broke through, man, convicted of my sin, needing righteousness from Christ, and standing in right judgment before the throne of God. This is the Holy Spirit's work in our life. So I do want to say that no matter where you are on the journey in following Jesus, no matter where you are in this continuum of obedience to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's at work in your life today, right now. If you're a believer, you can choose to obey him. And obedience is through his power. If you're a non-believer, he's drawing you near to the gospel of Jesus today. Conviction of sin and righteous and judgment. All right, so that's the first thing we do is we can stay in step with the Spirit as believers in Christ. We can choose to walk in the Spirit if we choose to be led by the Spirit, right? The second thing that we can do is we can discern God's will. And I've said this to you before, and I'll probably say it to you a whole bunch more because one of the most underused gifts we have is discernment from the Holy Spirit. We act like we're awash in the sea of the world. We have no hope or no plan, no way to know what's truth and what's not truth. And that's not what Scripture says. It says, ask God for wisdom. He'll give it to you. You want to know what's going on. Talk to God about it. He'll, he'll show you clearly what you're supposed to do. You, we wait on God, but we can ask God what's going on. I want to share with you from uh, the book of Romans. You can turn there if you want, Romans 2. And we have it on the screens as well, I think, this morning. Romans uh, 12, I'm sorry, sorry. Romans 12, uh, verse 2, chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says this, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now we talked recently, I remember, about uh, not being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of your mind. We talked about that in here, right? You guys remember that? We had that conversation. But I want to talk today about the second part of that. He says, if you do these things, don't conform to the world. The patterns of this world will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. When Paul's writing to the church in Rome, he's writing to the whole church. It's this idea that each and, and, and every each and all can discern God's will. That you, you can know what God has planned in your life. If you no longer conform to the patterns of this world. I want to talk practically about how this works itself out a little bit in church world and in, in our lives in general. First of all, let's start with individual stuff, okay? Some, sometimes we say we shouldn't look like the world. And that is true. As believers in Christ, if we're obedient to the Spirit, the natural result will look different than the world. But it does not mean that we set out to look different from the world to begin with. We don't create a false construct and live into it. Well, you know, I don't look like the rest of the world because I wear different kind of clothes and I, I talk different and I do these things different, you know. We can try to falsely manifest this. But the truth is that if we're being obedient to the Spirit and we end up dressing different or talking different, that's a whole different thing, right? We're no longer conforming to the patterns of this world, right? But we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. What's important to you? What drives you? What directs you? What makes you have your plans in life? Where do you set your priorities at? Where do you invest your time or your money or the talents that God's given you? What's the thing that's burning on your heart? God changes those things when we, when we leave the world of the flesh and we enter life in the Spirit. Don't conform to the patterns of the world. But here's another thing I want to talk to you about. Uh, this happens in church world too. 
I mean, like the little C churches, like us, Family Bible Church, we have a tendency to, to want success as the world defines it, and we chase after patterns that the world's created where they found success. You know what I'm saying? We, we run churches like a business, you know, and we can fall into that. Uh, we, we, we just need more signs, or we need more advertising. We, we need a better strategy. We need some, some market leaders. We need, to, we need to capture the Facebook group. You know what I mean? We need to do—it's it's patterns. But what about being transformed by your mind? Now, I'm not saying any of those things are bad. Because if we're submitted to Christ's Holy Spirit, and Christ's like, hey, get some billboards and this and that, we should be doing that. That's disobedience, and that's sin. But it doesn't mean because it works in business, it's supposed to be in the church. Not necessarily. Not always. See, most of us are more comfortable about seeing where God moved in someone else's life and wouldn't move like that. Let me tell you a little story. So you, you have a friend of yours, and they have this ridiculous experience with God, and you want it so bad, man. You want what they have, and you're like, God, I'll take that. You know what I mean? What's that movie that says, I'll have what she's having? <laughs> you know? I mean, like, I want that experience. I want that moment. I want that, you know, life. And God's like, why wouldn't you want what I have for you? How about you ask me, God, would you give me what you have for me? And when someone comes up to you and they say, oh, I want what you have, you go, you got to go ask God what he has for you. Right? Being transformed by the renewer of mind, then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. This idea is to know the will of God. And it doesn't mean know it like, I want to, before you do anything, you must know. When he says test and approve, it means test and approve. It means try it out. It means give it a go. I'm, I'm amazed in Scripture how it's not until the people step into the water that the waters part. Isn't that, why would they put that in the Scriptures? Why would it just be they show up, you know, and they have the, the, um, oh, the box, you know what I'm saying, the Ark of the Covenant, thank you. <laughs> a little history there for me. And, I mean, I'm not making a joke because that's where God lived, man. It's not a joke. Those guys are serious. But it wasn't until they put their feet in the water that the water parted. They didn't stand on the shore and say, make it happen, Jesus. Let's see where we're going, you know? It's like almost that moment of desperate. We're going to try this and see if it works. And they stepped into it. It's not a trying of doubt. It's a trying of faith. It's not trying to see if it fails. It's trying to see if it works. And all of a sudden, and this is true for you and your life, in your life, where you are right now, and it's true for us as the people of God in, the, in, the, in any other setting, let me just say something else. How about a family? Do you discern what God has for your family? Do you step into things and try it out? I think the Lord is leading us this way, family. Let's step into it and see. Let's see what it looks like. Let's see if we sense God's spirit in this. If he's not in it, no, I don't care how good it looks. We're not going that way. That, that's not where God's leading us. Where is God leading our family? It changes everything. Paul says we can test and approve and approve what God's will is. It doesn't mean we authorize. It means we acknowledge it. Yes, this is what God has for us. So all of a sudden, church, now listen to me. You don't have to look like everybody else. You don't have to sound like everybody else. You don't have to walk and talk like everybody else. But you have to be obedient to the Spirit of God. You have to walk in step with the Spirit of God. And as a church, you don't have to look like everybody else and talk like everybody else. You've got to walk in obedience to God. It's all he wants from us. Obedient relationship with him. And so we can discern through it. Look at what it says at the end of that verse. It's not just God's will. It's God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'll spend just a second on these, and we'll go to our, our final point today. 
When we do this work, we, we, we submit to Christ and his Holy Spirit. We let him transform us, transform our thinking. You know, when we're, we choose to be led by the Spirit of God, not only do we know God's will, but we know his will, his good will. And that means that fundamentally it's good. That in, at the end of the day, whenever all the chips are on the table, that it's good where he's leading us. It's, 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 it's something he has for us. That one's kind of obvious, but the second one, how about that? Pleasing. I want to say something about it. It doesn't mean it's me pleasing to you. You with me? It doesn't mean it's me pleasing to me. It means if we rightly walk and step into this and test and approve his will, it's going to be pleasing to God. Who says pleasing there means pleasing to him as a father who's proud of his children. As a father who loves his children. And he's pleased with obedience. Well, Dad, why should I do that? I'm going to do it anyway. I trust you. You have good things for me. I'm going to trust you in this. I mean, that kind of discernment, that kind of walking in the Spirit will change your life. And then the last word is perfect, and that's exactly what it means. It's without flaw will. Paul says, if you do these things, you know, if, you, if you're submitted to the Spirit of God, you will know his perfect will for your life now. See, I start to break down because I'm like, I know I'm not getting it perfectly right. And yet I'm given the gift of discernment, and so have you. So have you. Please, please don't leave here today thinking only certain people can discern God's will. Only certain people get this. Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he says, each of you and all of you, have this in Christ. Each and all, in any setting, in any environment. Let's think about one other thing. How about a business you're in? How about work? Can you use discernment at work? Can you use discernment when you're there? Can you, can you, can you pray over a meeting before you go? Can you pray during the meeting? And maybe I know you can't say, hey, let's all stop and hold, you know, hold hands and pray today. But what's stopping you from talking to God in the moment? You have an employee in your office and they're screaming at you and acting crazy. What's stopping you from talking to God in the moment? God, help me deal with this person right now. I don't know what to do. I don't want to manifest the flesh. I want to manifest your spirit in my life. What can I do? Doesn't mean you roll over. It means you obey the spirit. The spirit says rebuke, you rebuke. The spirit says, you know, appease, you appease. The spirit says be gentle, you're gentle. The spirit says, you know, you tell the truth, you tell the truth. Obedience to the spirit of God in the moment. That's what we're talking about, this relationship with God. Or maybe with your parents. Or maybe with your boyfriend or girlfriend or your, or your kids. In the moment when, we, when we're right on the edge of losing control and walking into wanton sin, why not discern God's will in that moment? What would you have me to do? What is your perfect will in this sin? And, and God is so faithful to answer that. So the first is step of the Spirit. The second is discern God's will. And the third thing then today is to experience Jesus' power. Experience Jesus' power. I'm going to ask you to turn back. We're kind of draining back in the scriptures today. Turn back to uh, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 is the kind of the end of the, the Gospels and the beginning of the church. And these are words from Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Jesus says that with his Spirit comes power. 
And this, this isn't like one time in Scripture. We're going to read several of them this morning where Jesus, or this is affirmed in Scripture that the promise of Jesus is true, that in him we have power in the Spirit. We have power in our lives. And we talked about that, about that last week, about applying the Holy Spirit uh, to our sin, uh, to not leave sin behind, and to, 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 to say it's okay. But here he says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power when he's on you, and you'll be my witnesses. I want to share with you from uh, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Um, Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. It says, uh, Do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. It's interesting that it says, we heard earlier drunkenness or, or uh, um, you know, that kind of uh, self-indulgence and stuff is in the sin column, right? Paul says, stop doing that. And instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in church world, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God means a lot of different things in a lot of different settings, right? What does that mean? Is it, is it some, how, how does that work? I'm going to propose something to you this morning. That being filled with the Holy Spirit of God and being obedient to His Spirit in your life is rooted in who God is and in revelation to the Word. I want to share with you from the book of Colossians. We have that as well this morning. This same idea, check it out in Colossians. Paul writes to the church in Colossians, and he says this, Let the, the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing, there it is again, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, and gratitude in your hearts to God. It's the same model that we see. Sometimes people say, well, I want to be full of the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to be filled up in me. But we negate, we neglect the Word of God. We have no time for it. We have no time to read or understand what Scripture says. That this power that God manifests is, is in Jesus' name, is through His Word, revelation in Scripture, and it's through the, the Spirit's teaching. It's inextricably linked to the Word of Christ, being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. These things go hand in hand. And many times we want to take them, we want to divorce these things that God puts together. We want to say, oh, I want this without that. That's not how it works. These things are, are common, shared together. The second thing I want to talk about, Jesus' power, is that the power is rooted in Jesus himself. The power that is manifest through the Spirit of God, this power that he says you will have power when the Spirit comes on you, is manifest through Jesus himself, right? And I want to share with you from the Gospel of John. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, streams of living water will flow from within him. Do you see that? So here we have Jesus is the source of the power. He's a source of the refreshment. He's a source of the living water. And, and we see this again in John 15. The whole chapter of John 15, you can read it, and it's all about how Jesus is required for any kind of good work, fruit, manifestation in our life. We cannot do it apart from Christ. This power that we have comes directly from him. We are merely the branches. Look at it, it says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. There's a promise from Jesus. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man or a person remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, he can do nothing. I just wanted to paint this image for you that we, we don't outgrow Jesus, that we're always attached to Jesus, that the flow, that the water, the in, inner peace, the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in Jesus' name in our lives. 
And then two final passages. And now I've had a lot today, but two more I want to share with you. First is from Ephesians 18 to 21. And Paul, Paul prays that we might come to see the power demonstrated in Jesus right? Look at what it says. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, that you may know his glorious riches, inheritance and with the saints, and then look at it, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. I mean, Paul's prayer for the church is that you would know the power that God has in your life for those who believe. And then lastly, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God gives us a spirit of power to be experienced as we share the gospel. It says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love. And there to get, as again, of self-discipline. This is the manifestation of God in our life. Fruit of the spirit. The power of Christ in our lives. All of these things I've shared with you, all these things are rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It, it, it's no other way to get it. You know, no other sorcery, no other magic, nothing else, no other experience in life. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ that brings these things to us. And it's in two ways, and it's him as Christ and him as Lord. We talk about Jesus as the Christ, talking about the one who rescues us in our desperate, broken, sinful state. It's this idea of someone who's fallen in the ocean and there's no boat and nothing around. You have one hope and it's your rescuer or you'll die. And we look to Jesus in that way. Who will rescue us from this life of sin? Who will deliver us from this broken body? And it's Jesus himself. And that's half that he saves us that God on the cross saves us, that his blood pours out to cover all of our sins and that we're no longer responsible to pay for our sins. But that's only half because the second part is him as Lord, him as master, or as we said before, him as the boss. What would you have me to do? Where would you have me to go? And walking in the spirit of God in that way. Some of you haven't believed either of those things of Jesus. He, you don't need him to save you, and you're not obeying him. Some of you believe you need him to save you, but you're not obeying him. You're not even talking to him about what you're doing in your life. You're not asking questions. What would you have for me? What would you have for my family? What would you have for my job or my employer or my, my, my company? Where would you have me to go? Isaiah says this to us today. Seek the Lord while he may be found. And call on him while he is yet near. That's today for some of you. Today, God is with us. He's right here. He's looking for obedience. He's looking for belief. Would you believe the gospels for you today? I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, he is here today and he will save you from your sin. He will deliver you from brokenness. He promises it. I don't promise it. He promises it. And if you're here and you, you say, yeah, I, I prayed a prayer when I was a kid and I got baptized, and, but man, my life doesn't look anything like Jesus. That fruit stuff you talked about, I'm all on the flesh side of that column. You know, I'm, I'm, today's a day to repent of your sin, to repent of your sin and to ask him to lead you in your life, to walk with him. 
If you leave this place today believing those promises and walking in the Spirit, you will not be the same, and neither will I. Neither will I. Let's pray together today. Uh, Father God, we come to you because we have nowhere else to go. And we wouldn't want to anyway. You bring yourself to us. We thank you so much for Jesus on the cross who died for our sins. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that prompts us to believe the gospel and we think we're so far from you. We pray, Father God, for our friends who are here today that don't think the gospel's for them, that you would convince them in their spirit. Your spirit says you will convict them of their sin. We don't want to see our friends die in sin. We don't want to see them separated from God. We don't want to see them suffering in this life and suffering for eternity. Father God, would you work in your spirit? Would you move in their hearts and convince them of the gospel? And Father God, today as, as we just need you to do that work, we pray you would do it for your glory, for your glory in this place. We trust you completely with that. And then, Father, for the, the conviction from the word of all the places that our lives are broken and our world's broken, we repent as believers in Christ who are paid for, who, whose you know, sins have been bought by your Son and our Savior Jesus. We repent of our sins. We don't want it anymore. Would you deliver us from that? And would you lead us into these places of obedience to the Spirit of God? I thank you so much you've given us the opportunity and the challenge this morning to step with your Spirit in this life pray we would do it obediently and, and boldly. We would dare to risk and try and figure things out. And may it always be about you, not about us. Father God, may it always be about you and your people and what you're doing in this world. And we give you praise and glory. We celebrate Jesus, our Savior. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.